Neutral, the motorcycle podcast, part of the Hooniverse Podcast Network. I am uh, Eric Tritko, and joined once again by uh, Pete. And Pete, I, I, my Japanese is not good, so <laughs> I'll let you do your nickname. Pete Ziliox, known on Hooniverse as Tanchinomi. Some people know this, and a lot of people I found out don't. Tanchinomi is Japanese for motorcycles only. It's actually several words kind of strung together into one. Our guest today is... Hi, I'm Vince Ma, uh, out here in uh, what used to be sunny Sacramento, but uh, it's uh, been raining all week. Today is the only day uh, that we have sun, so we're trying to do uh, a lot of things before the podcast, trying to get out mow the lawn and get a ride in before uh, before it starts raining again. Wow, that's a, that's a good idea. We actually have had, uh, after last week when we had 20-degree uh, weather and, oh, about four four to six inches of snow here in Metro Detroit, the last two days it's been almost 60 degrees. So um, getting the bike ready to, to get out and ride this year has uh, jumped up on the agenda of things to do. Awesome. Got a few things to talk about. Um, Pete, you've got the agenda. My uh, my internet is down, so I'm doing this off my iPad, and uh, I can't I can't walk and chew gum at the same time with this thing. So. <laughs> okay, I have a feeling this is going to be a part of this podcast. Is me going back to old business from the prior episode when we were talking last week? I got some I got some feedback, and there are a couple things I remember. One. I somebody pointed out that I was a bit unfair to the CB300F when talking about beginner's bike, and I complained that it did not have <laughs> ABS. And then I went on to recommend a whole bunch of other bikes that didn't have ABS. My point with the CB300F was they actually have an ABS version that they don't import, which just is the reason that that specifically chaps me about that one it's still a wonderful bike it's down on power compared with some of the other beginner bikes that i mentioned but yes i was a little bit hypocritical in bashing it and then naming a bunch of other non-abs beginner bikes the other thing is a bike that i really like that i did not mention was the sim wolf 150 it's only 150 cc's it is fairly small but it probably is Comparable in power to the TW200 that I was raving about. Sim is a really good brand. It's a Taiwanese brand. They've actually built Hondas under license for many years. So I think it's a great looking bike. I have a CB125, which is kind of the grandfather to this bike. It's not something that's going to be freeway legal. But if you're looking for a beginner's bike that's unintimidating and actually is a lot of fun, that is also one that I wanted to mention. And finally, Wayne Moyer, who's actually going to be our guest next week, posted a response on our post about the podcast that we failed to mention the Suzuki GS500 Twin, which I think was a really good point because that is something that is available cheap. They're bulletproof and 
probably should have been in the discussion. So we'll, we'll maybe bring that up with Wayne when he's here next week. So that's my old business. All my disclaimers are done. Uh, before we get into our topic, we've kind of introduced ourselves in the last couple episodes, but Vince, nobody's had a chance to really get to know you. So why don't you give us the, the, the five second motorcycle, not five second. <laughs> I'm being, I don't mean that literally your, your quick motorcycle biography. What is it that you're interested in? What's your experience? Sure. Uh, so, uh, uh, actually I've, I've had my motorcycle license since I was uh, probably 18. Uh, but I never, uh, actually owned a motorcycle till about, about five years ago. Um, uh, when uh, somebody asked me to, to help them find a motorcycle and, uh, instead of helping them find one, ended up with one myself. Uh, and so my first bike was a, uh, or is a, uh, 1978, uh, BMW R80 seven. And then the day after that, uh, I ended up with my friends, uh, non-running, uh, 73, uh, Honda CB, uh, 504. And so, uh, those are the two bikes I own right now. And, uh, so as you can tell, I t- tend to lean more towards the, uh, older classic bikes. Uh, I don't ride every day, uh, li- uh, like you guys might, um, typically a weekend rider or afternoon rider, um, I, uh, or early morning, sometimes I'll get out and ride. But, uh, the reason I, I ended up with these two bikes is, is I tend to do my own work. So I, I know that you guys, uh, one of the topics we talked, you guys talked about in an earlier podcast was, you know, whether you do your own work yourself and, and I'll try to do as much as I can without getting into any machining work. So I don't have a lathe or anything like that, but you know, uh, the, uh, uh, the BMW, we actually rebuilt, uh, from the ground up. So all the way up to taking with the exception of taking the crankshaft out of the case, um, every nut and bolt was replaced on that. And, uh, it's just waiting for paint. Uh, to go on that. So, um, they, those were beginner bikes for me or getting back into bikes. I know that last week that was the topic of discussion on, on the beginner bike. I ended up with a big 800 CC motorcycle as my, as my first bike. Um, can't really flat foot it either, but I'm kind of short, uh, at five, eight, but, uh, uh, as we'll get into today, I guess, you know, did a little bit of customization and, and was able to make it fit me. And uh, that's the one I, I ride uh, almost every weekend uh, out here to meet the, the local BMW club. Yeah, so so last week when we talked about, yeah, I probably don't want a vintage bike to get started on. <laughs> yeah, you know, I... Um, you know, I, I was listening to that and I, I kind of disagreed, but I also agreed. Uh, you know, I can see the side to it. Uh, you know, there is something to, to be said about hopping on the bike and just hitting the button, turning the key, hitting the button and, and going. Uh, but the flip side of that, and, uh, and I, I see this in more of my car experience, is that uh, with modern uh, things, uh, there's a lot of electrical things going on. And I'm horrible at electrical. I'm fairly good mechanically, but uh, anything with electrical, I mean, if it's, I could, you know, I've burned out multimeters trying to test things. So uh, electricity is not my friend. Uh, but the vintage bikes, you know, they seem to be fairly simple. You know, you give it air, you give it gas, and you give it spark, and they seem to go. So, um, uh, you know, but you got you got to tinker. We had to tinker with it quite a bit to get it to be a reliable daily runner. But, um, you know, cold mornings, you guys were talking about choke, and, you know, I mess with that choke and little starter fluid. But, you know, once it gets, you know, all these old bikes, I think, are kind of cold-blooded. But once it's up and running... 
Uh, it runs great. You know, I've got it dialed in right now that I can keep up with most people uh, outside of freeway speeds. Uh, I can keep up with most most modern bikes on the twisties. Well, that that brings us to our topic for this week, which we're going to talk about the custom bike scene and modifying bikes in general. I I have to tell you, I, I frequent another site, uh, caferacer.net is a very interesting, every once in a while, extremely dysfunctional forum <laughs> uh, of guys that uh, most of them are old school guys that are interested in vintage racing and modifying old motorcycles for speed. And somewhere along the line, the hipster craze of let's all buy old motorcycles, rip the fenders off of them and put skateboard seats on them showed up on the scene, you know, fueled by uh pipe burn and <laughs> bike EXIF. And, and they actually have a read this first disclaimer because so many people were getting on there and doing exactly <laughs> what we don't want people to do. There's a million posts on there of, hi, new to bikes, new to cafe racers, just bought a, and fill in the blank, it could be a Kawasaki Spectre Cruiser, and I want to cafe it, I want to do a cafe build, and I don't have my license yet, and I don't know how to ride, but I've got it, and I completely stripped it down to the frame. And you can just hear this this collective facepalm from everybody, okay, you are doing this the exact wrong way, and it's kind of become a mantra that these people are after us aesthetics and that particular site is about increasing the function of older motorcycles, but it happens to have cafe racer in the name. It now has a reputation of being a whole bunch of really mean people that no matter what you want to do, there's a bunch of regulars who will bash everything you try to do and tell you, you don't know what you're doing, which really isn't the case, but it's sort of is. <laughs> I, I think that's a probably a pretty good way to start out our conversation is, is it really form follows function or is there a place to do something strictly because it's aesthetically pleasing with a motorcycle as a piece of art? Uh, I think that's kind of a loaded question, but I'll let you guys address what you think would be the answer to that. Well, you know, when I first, uh, uh, you know, as growing up, I'm originally from Chicago. And uh, if you say custom motorcycles in Chicago, uh, everybody's talking about big iron. And so it's the Harley guys and it's, you know, they farkle everything up to, you know, chrome everything out. And uh, kind of when I started getting into m motorcycles, that's when people said, you know, oh, do you like custom motorcycles? And, you know, I was thinking, oh, it's, you know, it's the low riders and, you know, it's the easy riders and, and all this. And I said, no, I'm not really into it. Uh, and then as I started digging into it more, the, the whole cafe, uh, racer, uh, scene was starting to pop up. And this, I, I think, uh, it's been popular for a while, but, uh, when I really started looking into it, that was the, you know, first thing when you typed in into Google or whatever, and you said custom motorcycles, that's kind of what came up was a cafe racer. And, uh, so originally what I was planning to, to buy as my first bike was a, uh, Suzuki S40 Savage. And the reason I was going to buy that bike is, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Rika kit, yeah, the Rika kit. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I was going to cafe it and do the Rika kit. 
uh, until I found out how much it was. And, and, uh, you know, for that price, I was able to get two motorcycles. Uh, and then you just start going into it, you know, then you look back into the forties and fifties and that was really the, the start of the, the cafe scene, which was the, the Norvin, which is, I think my ultimate dream is to, is to own a Norvin someday, uh, which is, you know, the, the Norton and the, and the Vincent motorcycles combination. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Those guys are all about function. You know, it's about how do I get from this cafe to the next cafe as quickly as possible. Um, but I, I, I'll tell you, I, I get on the same sites that, that, that Pete, that you probably get on, uh, the bike FX and man, some of those bikes are really, really good looking. Uh, I didn't think you could uh, make a, uh, an airhead look that nice on some of the custom builds I've seen, but you know, some of those look, look really, really nice. I don't, Eric, I don't know what you think. Yeah, I've, I've always, I've liked bike XF since I found, first found that site about, I don't know when it, probably about when it first popped up at five, six years ago now, maybe longer. It's our time keeps creeping by faster and faster. Um, and, and I can say from that site, the, the one that really struck me at first was, um, the Yamaha VX920 builds, where, you know, that was very much a cruiser-style bike and a couple people, and maybe one guy in Kansas City who's built three or four, I can't remember now. Well, uh, are you talking about the the the, the Virago or oh, the sorry, Chain Drive 920? Because the Chain Drive, the, the XV920 Chain Drive was actually a really cool sport touring bike with uh you know totally different styling than than the viragos and i think it's a much more suitable uh starting point than the viragos are not only for the for the chain drive and the and shaft drive difference but also just the frame and the and the design of it it's a much more uh standard looking bike yeah maybe it was the maybe it was the viragos that it was i can't i without being able to pull it up right now, I can't think. But I always remember that it was such a dramatic difference from from what it started out to be what, to what it ended up being. That was a bit crazy. Um, and then, as, as I said on the first uh, first episode, uh, about two months ago, there was one, someone who did a, uh, an, a Yamaha XS400. Uh, very cool sort of bobber, more bobber than cafe, but nice split between the two in, in some retro Yamaha red and white um paint scheme and i'm like well that was dangerous because i actually own uh that bike so an xs 400 so that was a bit dangerous um so yeah i like that and 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 vince like you said there's some bits of really cool airhead bmws on there on that particular site i really imaginative thinking on on how they've tricked them out um but going back to it um yeah i mean being in the you know in the midwest and, and being in detroit um a lot like Chicago, it's when you say custom bike, 99% of the people are, you know, Harleys. And of course, the, you know, early, late 90s, early 2000s, up until about what the, the, when we had the recession, when everyone could no longer take out third mortgages on their house to buy these $50,000 monstrosities. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it was. But I guess on, on and, and then the other side of it is because we have a, a lot of the, for the lack of a better term, a sort of an urban motorcycle scene around here. Um, you see a lot of really stretched out sport bikes with anywhere from four to nine inch extended length swing arms. Wow. Um, 
you know, lots of neon or LED lights. Well, not neon anymore, but LED lighting and stuff like that. So you see a lot of that around here, too, as far as custom bikes and certainly some some wild paint jobs on them as well. Right. Uh, and and I don't know if this constitutes, uh, you know, being custom, but, uh, you know, I used to be a real purist uh, when I was getting ready to restore that um, BMW. I was going to put it back exactly to uh, factory spec. And uh, as we started digging into it, uh, you know, this term, you know, rubber elephant came up and, uh, uh, you know, like I said, I've only been riding now for five years, but, uh, the guys in my group that were helping on this bike, you know, they said, well, when you really start pushing this bike through the corners, it gets that rubber elephant feeling, you know, it's kind of loose. And, and I said, well, what do you want me to do about it? You know, I said, the bike is what it is. It's not a sport bike. And they said, well, Hey, why don't you put on a bigger, you know, big tube swing arm? And, uh, you know, I said, okay, well, let me look into this. And, and so there's this kind of retro mod, um, you know, you're taking parts from a newer, new, slightly newer bike. And, you know, we're talking about like, you know, it's five years newer than my bike and putting it on the old bike. But then it, we started, you had to make certain modifications because then the brake light switch wouldn't fit. And so you had to, you know, shave off that, um, uh, that bracket in order to get the right one to fit. And, uh, and then I started getting into it, you know, I thought, oh, retro modding, you know, it still looks like. Uh, the, the vintage bike that I own, but you know, it's got certain pieces on it that are from a newer bike that I put on there and, and uh, uh, now performs a little bit better. Uh, so, um, you know, Pete kind of going back to your point, you know, the, the old guys, you know, they're about modifying the bike to, to perform better. What, what do you think about, uh, I, I, what do you guys think about uh, uh, the bikes that people are taking kind of brand new bikes and making them look old? And, and one that came to mind, um, that for me was I was looking at this, uh, uh, this guy took a brand new Husqvarna and made it look like an old um, kind of dirt tracker, um, you know, scrambler looking uh, Husky. I mean, if you kind of looked at it from 20 feet away, you'd think this is a 1970s bike, but it was a 01 bike and, and they kind of made it look, look older. And I thought that was pretty cool. I'll tell you one of the, my favorite things that are kind of in this, I don't know what to call it. The new wave of customs is uh the Vinago if you're familiar with it was uh, I forget who did it but uh uh Doc's Chops did it and they built it for Billy Joel and it is a Virago designed to look as much as possible like an old 50s Vincent mm. and it is spectacularly well done and you don't have all the problems of an old vintage motorcycle it's I think it shows how good the Virago, especially the later round side cover Virago motors can look in the right bike. I really love that motorcycle. I don't, I don't know how much power it makes. I don't know if it's as fast as an, an old Virago, uh, Vincent. It's not as classically beautiful and it doesn't have all those beautiful little touches to it, but it's not an ugly motorcycle. It's cool. I really like it. So I'll, I'll put a picture of it in there if I can get permission to put one up there, but it's a really neat bike. I have no problem with that kind of uh, mix and match, blur the lines between eras, you know, trying to take modern stuff and old stuff and put them together. I think the thing that I don't like is to look at something and go, wow, that really could have been a whole lot more functional and still looked really cool. You made some decisions that took away from functionality without gaining anything in aesthetics. Uh, or some of the people that 
you know, build a bike and their argument for, and, and I see this on caferacer.net all the time, that somebody will say, you know, hey, 754s don't work with pods. A Honda yep. CX500 or 400 Twin with CV carbs, you put those really cheap MGO pod filters on the intake, it's going to run like crap. And everybody has the same response. Well, I didn't build it to be a race bike. I don't care. It's bad. It, it's a bad thing badly done. Like, for example, there are some CX500s that have a really, I forget who makes them, but there's a really cool uh, extended intake that you can bolt on a Makuni carburetor. And uh, it actually works pretty well, especially if you go out and you get some really nice uh, K&N filters on it with the velocity stack inside of it. And you, there are ways to do it well and end up with the same aesthetic. You just were lazy or didn't know better. Don't use, I didn't build it for power or I'm not going to tour on it as an excuse. Even if you are happy with it, take somebody's advice when they say there was a better way to do it. I I agree. I One of the things I was thinking about was um, because I was always more kind of a racing person than uh, than anything else. I mean, tweaking, customizing, changing bikes has always been a, been a thing. I mean, even back to the days when, um, you know, people were, were doing different things with Kawasaki or with uh, Suzuki GSX-R chassis where you take an 1100, the old air-cooled 1100 motor, put it in a 750 chassis. You take a, an FCR 600 uh, motor and put it in an FCR 400 chassis because it was aluminum and significantly lighter and stiffer. Um, you know, and that just goes on and on and on. And then I was thinking, well, even in the uh, early 2000s when the custom bike thing, the, the big iron custom bike thing was going on, really the only person I consistently, whose work I liked, uh, was Roland Sands. Because, and, and it got to the point of, well, Roland was a racer. Roland was a really good racer. And he took that kind of minimalist aesthetic and keeping it simple and clean and, uh, and, and the bikes that he's built – uh, pretty much almost every one of them have, have followed those lines. And uh, he's he's mixed and matched a lot of stuff as well, uh, including um, uh, he took the he, the V5 engine. the V five Was it a V5 or the V3 Kenny Roberts GP engine? And, uh, and put that into a bike, which was outrageous. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's you know, kind of do what you want. And as far as the old old and new or new looking old, I mean, the reason Triumph is in business today yeah. is because of their, you know, retro bikes and that wanting to look old but having modern functionality. And even Ducati, to a little bit of an extent, even before the whole Scrambler thing, they had their, their classic lines with the, with the Paul Smart and I um, uh, can't think of the other two ones, but the, there was the GT... And one other one I can't think of. It might have just been like the cafe or something like that. Sport Classic. Sport Classic. Thank you. That was one I was thinking of. Um, you know, that's it's been done for, for a while. and I, I have to say, I think the Sport Classic is one of the worst attempts at trying to make something look retro. The, the proportions are so hideous on that oh, bike. No. <laughs> I love that, but you guys just touched on it. My current obsession right now, uh, and I think I mentioned this in my uh, in my email, is a, is a Ducati 900SS, um, which is, I guess, the predecessor to that the Sport Classic. I think that was the continuation. Um, and then the Paul Smart. Um, 
you know, I would, I think I would give my left arm to get one of those bikes, uh, the, the 900 SS. And, and, uh, again, it's, I like the carbureted version. Now you can tell I, I lean more towards vintage bikes. I know you guys think that the, uh, fuel injectors are, are, uh, you know, I think, I think the fuel injector is easier to live with, but you know, if you get okay, the, and uh, that was our point last week is they're yeah. easier to live with. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you know, to me, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, there's more tunability and there's more ability to customize with the, the carbureted version. You know, I don't have to worry about the, the computer and all that, you know, with the 900 SS, you know, you, a stock, it's not a great, it's not a, it's an okay bike, but you get the Makuni slide, uh, constant velocity, uh, carburetors in there and people say that lights it up. You get the Jigsaw front end on it, and uh, so that's my current obsession right now. I actually, before we jumped on this podcast, I was already on. I was on Craigslist as I am, probably every other day, looking for a, a, a 900 SS to um, to buy and then and then customize. and And it takes me back to uh, when I first got into motorcycles. Uh, uh, you start buying stuff and accumulating stuff, and then one day you look at the receipts and. Some guy turned to me and he said, uh, don't you know that the bike is only the down payment on the accessories? And so uh, I, I go, truer words have never been spoken because you just end up buying so much stuff for these bikes. And, and nobody knows this better than the Harley guys, because I think their their accessories catalog is probably, you know, four or five times as thick as as their, you know, their their bike catalog. When you talk about the Sport Classic, I I don't think they're bad bikes. I'm not a huge Ducati fanboy, but. You take that bike and then you compare it to something like the Silver Shotgun 450 single. And one of them, it's kind of like, yeah, you stuck kind of a funny looking tank on top of a modern motorcycle. And the other was, oh my goodness, this is just something I want to put on a pedestal in my office and look at all day long. Yeah. I I just... It, it wasn't their best attempt. I'll, 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 I'll agree with you on that. Yeah, I, I think there are other better examples. I, I think the new Bonneville is really well done. Uh, I think, you know, the new water-cooled one, I think the one generation back, the first uh, Hinkley Bonneville just looked really fat. I mean, the engine itself, the cases just looked way too massive and wide, which was exactly what I liked about the original Meriden Bonneville was it was so sculptural and it was so uh life and airy looking around the cylinder and this one was just this big lump it was like if some is good more is better now granted I know they have to meet modern noise regs and emissions regs and and it's it's you can't make a motorcycle look like one from 40 years ago cuz you can't sell it and put it on the street but that said, I well, well the, the new the new Bonneville. Uh, I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at it. They just had it at the um, the dealership the other day, and it looks. Uh, it, they did a really good job with the new one. I thought the the previous generation they did a pretty good job of making it look vintage. Um, but the new one, uh, even the way they've got the pipes uh, going, it kind of. It kind of comes down and then it goes into the collector and it comes back out, but then they put a shield over the top of it. So it looks like a straight pipe going back. Uh, and, you know, they kept the uh, the uh, carburetor-looking throttle bodies, and yeah, it's, they, a, it's they, a great-looking bike. The carburetor-looking throttle bodies make it look like something <laughs> it isn't, which from a design standpoint, I, I rarely 
like something that is deliberately trying to look like something it's not. Right, right. Uh, you know, if I were to buy a modern bike, um, fuel injected, that's probably, I'm waiting for the, they didn't have the new Thruxton, um, out, but, um, uh, I'm waiting for that to, to come out later in the year to, uh, to see how that looks. But, you know, what I've seen from the new Bonneville, I'm, I'm assuming that's, that's going to be outstanding. Uh, and then, well, uh, from, from the pictures I've seen of the new Thruxton, um, uh, I think I have them somewhere on my hard drive from the press release stuff. Um, it looks good. It looks really good in the, with all the extra racing kit that they have for it. Yeah. Uh, but I about choked when I saw the pricing on or what they want. <laughs> the bait. It was a little like, really? Come on. So I, so I had iPad and phone, phone going here at the same time. Uh, and Pete, you can look this one up. Or both you guys can look this up. The Roland Sands bike I was trying to think of was the KRV5 Tracker. So that was the V5 Honda MotoGP engine. And he put it in. It looks like a 1920s board tracker kind of looking bike, and Ooh. it was like super sexy. So I'll let you guys look that up. And then Roland also did one for for you uh, for Vince. He did the R uh, the uh, BMW Concept 90. Yeah, yeah, I I saw that. That uh, that's a that was a good look, that's a good looking bike. Uh, I didn't think you could make it look better. I thought it looked really nice stock. Uh, but when I saw the one that, uh, that Roland did, it was, um, yeah, that, that was, that did it for me. That was a great bike. Um, now I'm looking at this tracker. Uh, you know, that's, are you, do you guys like, like that kind of look uh, on a bike that to me is, is so extreme uh, and then the other thing too, for me is, uh, even though I like custom bikes, I, I'd, I'd like to be able to ride mine. You know, I look at this, this one, this, uh, uh, the, the KRV five tracker, it's not something that I think I could ride. Uh, he uh, rode it from Laguna Seca. Did he really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, that may be too extreme for me. Uh, I, I may be jumping over to Pete's ship here, uh, that, uh, that that does come along the, that 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 goes to the extreme of style over function. I, I right. will admit it, um, or that that would be about my limit of style over function. But it was just it was so beautifully put together. It was uh, and it, it looked and sounded so good. It was you know left an impression. Now, I think that now I have to say I really like the board tracker look. I think some of the custom. Board tracker Harleys are phenomenal looking. Uh, I would have a tough time myself wanting to have a hardtail for everyday use, but I I just posted something the other day. Someday I'm going to own a hardtail just because I, I, I feel like I need to do that to round out my experience as a motorcyclist. I think that's something that I want something, not necessarily a easy rider Swedish extended fork chopper more more uh Lee Marvin uh Indian in uh, the wild ones uh there's a journalist uh, I think he writes for Baggers magazine right now he's mostly a kind of a Harley chopper kind of guy uh but I think he's kind of a performance Harley writer at Tof Bocciero or Bocciero, Bocciero, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but I've read some of his stuff. And he has a 
Harley Flathead K model pre Sportster uh, board tracker custom hardtail, which is the one bike every time I look at it, I'm like, someday I'm going to own a hardtail because it's just the coolest looking thing. I will try to make sure I put a link or a picture of it in, in our post next week so that people can take a look at it and you guys can see it because that is the one of the coolest bikes. And I only have seen one picture of it that I scanned out of, I forget what Hot Bikes magazine I think it was. He was an editor for, and uh, it it's spectacular looking. And I'll have to make sure you guys see it next week. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could do like a board track kind of thing or just kind of the, the you know, champion frame street tracker kind of thing. Just, although I would have to have something with a sprung saddle. I see some of these oh, yeah. choppers with the king and queen seat right on the fender. And, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I had a friend of mine years ago that I used to work with who had a chopper, and he said he ran about 18 PSI in his rear tire because that was his suspension. Suspension. <laughs> and, and I would be with him riding, and he would have to take turns at like 15 miles an hour. And it was just – and he had a car tire on the back that was just – you know, a big old white wall on one side, not on the other car tire on this thing. And it was just so absurd. He loved that. And I have to say, in his defense, he rode every day. He wow. he was one of these guys that it would be, you know, they're predicting freezing rain before he got home from work. He'd still get on his bike and come to work. So I, I have to give him props for that. There are some people, I think a good example is uh, Indian Larry. He's gone now, but, you know. Oh, yeah. He rode all over the place on the things he built and people would say oh you know it's just for decoration it's like not if you're not if you're riding it not if you're i don't have that intestinal fortitude to deal with sitting on a hardtail bike for you know a couple hundred miles in a day but some people do and more power to them he was he was one where and thank you for remind for for bringing him up because he was one of the few harley people that i ever paid attention to because he kept it clean he kept it simple he kept it for the most part, practical. Um, you know, he always, I remember him talking about, you know, they like to go up into the Adirondacks and ride, and you can't get, like, all, um, you know, your front end sticking out three feet like some of these guys like to do and, and you know, go in the go on the roads up in the Adirondacks. I've driven a little bit up there, but not a lot, but enough to know that it's, you know, it's not bad. Um, and, and, yeah, and his stuff was, you know, was borderline art. If it, it, you know, in fact, some of it was pure artwork, um, and and yeah, we're, it's it's too bad that he's not around anymore because his stuff was always always good and one of like I said, one of the few Harley people I ever paid attention to. Now, would you guys ever consider uh, building your own custom? Uh, and the reason I ask is, uh, you know, I'm like I said, I'm pretty good mechanically, meaning that I can take a bolt out, put a bolt back in. But you know, I see some of these guys and. You know, you look at their welds, and I and I can appreciate a good weld because uh, I don't weld that well. And uh, just looking at them, you know, custom bending their their own hoops and putting on their own new subframes, and, and that's beyond my skill set. So I don't know if I'd ever do that, but I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, uh, no, I'd never never attempt that. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think that I can because I know enough people who like. I don't have a, a tubing bender, but I know someone who does. Um, 
I I have never I the last time I used a welder um, was twenty some odd years ago, and that was because I had to put a partial new floor in my car. Because um, <laughs> I was it was uh, I was driving, and it was a little soft in the left rear of the of the driver's seat. And as I'm driving along the highway, and I lean back, and I kind of went back a little too far. Um, <laughs> And so I, uh, you know, got the pla- uh, got to a friend's place, and we got the plasma cutter out and um, cut some sheet metal, and you know, I I did most of the tacking in, and he finished it up. But yeah, that's it's been a long time, but I'd like to think that I can wiring. I can, you know, I can. I, wiring is not my favorite thing to do, but I've done it before. I'll, I'm sure I'll have to do it again. Um, which reminds me, I've got to shorten the dash of my car that I got to fix. <laughs> Anytime I hit a bump, the uh, the lights in the uh, in the IP go out. So I've got to. I thought I'd track that down, and I still got to. It keeps popping a fuse, but that's a different different story. Um, so yes, I'd like to think that I can. And 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 one of the things of looking um, with that XS four hundred I have is, I sort of want to keep it as it is because it has a thousand original miles on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, it's not really worth anything. So why not? You know. My comment about no, I'd never do that was facetious, and those people oh. who have been on Hooniverse for long enough will know that I have been building a custom bike literally out of fairly random used parts, starting with, I didn't even have a bare frame when I started. I had a swing arm and some wheels, and I had a couple of Bultacos that I played with and for example, I put a uh, Suzuki disc brake front end on a Persang and made a road racer out of it. I had a GN 400 Suzuki that I kind of de-cruiserized a little bit with some superbike bars and gave it new paint and, and a different exhaust that I had a local shop make. So I had done some little thing, and I said, I've never done the whole thing. And so I said, this is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with nothing. And I'm going to walk my way through every bit of the process and try to do everything myself, not in hopes of having the most awesome motorcycle when I get done, but really for the education of what does it take in terms of tools, in terms of experience, in terms of, I don't know, eye-hand coordination. You know, when you're using a grinder, I wanted to go through the whole process. So I started with a YZ125C swing arm, and I said, I'm going to build a monoshock Boltaco went out and found a Boltaco Persang 370 frame. Got some Suzuki 450 and 650 wheels. Got a Suzuki or 850 wheel, the Suzuki 650 front end, and just started buying parts off eBay and Craigslist to build it. I'll put my caferacer.net build uh, thread link in when with this goes live so people can go to Hooniverse and link to it. I've also done some progress reports when we do our Project Car State of the Union addresses. I think it's every March or every May or something. We update everybody on our project cars and mine are project bikes. And I'm currently messing with, kind of out of necessity, customizing my CL125 because, and I wanted to bring this up, one reason for customizing is just what you're saying about the new Thruxton is it's too damn expensive. By customizing things, you can do things cheaper. I'm not going to go out and buy the original BMW throttle housing. I'm going to go buy a Magura 314 for 20 bucks and put it on and get going. 
And sometimes it's for simplicity. Sometimes it's to make it easier to find replacement parts. Maybe it's cost. Maybe it's there's something really finicky here that is too valuable and too irreplaceable to use on the street. So I'm going to go out and get a replacement that's easy to source and put the really good one on the shelf until I want to sell it. You know, for example, a seat or something like that. And my 125s like that, I found out that the original one-piece welded exhaust on it that was only made for two years, it was all, the seam on the bottom had just rotted out. And I was like, you know what? It's going to get a custom exhaust because I'm not going to go spend the three or $400 it takes to buy somebody's decent used one when I only spent $700 for the whole bike. I, Peter, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't know that it's necessarily cheaper because uh, in my attempts to, you know, quote unquote, customize my bike, I've made mistakes where I've had to, uh, you know, grind down too far. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to buy a new fork because I just ground down too far on it and, you know, have to redo it. And so you end up spending double. So I think if you're if you're right, if you're if you're good at what you do. And I'm, well, that, I'm gonna... that's that's an experience cost. That's tuition in the College <laughs> of Hard Knocks. That's not a cost of the bike. There you go. There you go. I tend to add them together. You know, I save the receipts. And that's the one thing uh, all and I think all restorers or customers, uh, you know, it's the cardinal sin is to never, never add up your receipts. And, and, I, and I always try to force myself not to do it. But, you know, you end up one day when it's, you know, it's, you're so frustrated that you just decide to put the tools back in the chest and go back in and, and sit and sit and get on a forum and find out how to do things correctly. And then he's like, well, I've read all the forum posts I can read. And then I'll go, well, here, let's look at the stack of receipts and add them up. And, you know, then you go, why am I doing this? <laughs> oh, well, I actually have a category in my Quicken finances for all of my bikes so that I can, with one click, find out exactly how much I have spent on each one of them. And it actually, for me, it's motivating. It's okay. You, I, I'm all in now. I I got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do it for the love of the bike. Cause uh, you know, I said, if we, if we, if this was trying to do this to generate money, I'd be uh, uh, losing, losing money left and right. But well, I have uh, to say that the first thing I ever wrote on Hooniverse before I even had an account with them, uh, I sent Jeff, my Eleanor was a Boltaco streaker 125. And I had a chance to buy them a couple times. There's maybe 50 in the United States. Most of them went to collectors. So there's a lot of no mile and low mile, really nice ones still out there. And I've had three times, maybe four times they've come up for sale and I've been tempted to get them, but they're always too expensive. I went back and totaled up my receipts. My piece of junk has cost me enough that I could have gone out and <laughs> bought that bike. But on the other hand, I have a lathe. I have a MIG welder and a TIG welder. I have uh, a whole lot of experience, and I've had a whole lot of enjoyment through this process, and I've met some really cool people that I I consider all that of value and part of what this has given me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the next time through, if there is a, you know, I did a lot of things on my 125 that I couldn't have done if I hadn't already bought parts and supplies and tools for the Boltaco project. So once you get those things, then you reuse them over and over again. And, and the next one's that much cheaper. Right. And, and does, does it ever end? Uh, you know, I, I look at my bike and, uh, you know, it's been together now for about a, about a year and a half and I've been riding it, but you know, I keep looking at these things and I go, you know what, if I could just, 
add this or, you know, if I change this, uh, does the customizing ever end? Yes. Uh, uh, it, it, it's when you, it, it comes with two, two things, and, and I'll say this because I'm experiencing this with um, my car, or one of my cars, I guess. Um, I've had it for five years. It's been a project. I've done pretty much what I can do with what I can do with it, um, other than take it down the drag strip, which has been a thing for like two years now, and it's finally ready to go. And as soon as it goes down the track this spring, it's going for sale. And the reason is, is to do much more with it, essentially, I have to start tearing it all apart again and spending ridiculous amounts of money. At this point, I don't know that I'm going to break even on it, but at least get most of my money back out of it. And then I'm going to move on to the next thing because um, I can't have multiples sitting around here. So, so yes, things do. And, and I've had that with, uh, you know, we talked about this on the with first or the second episode of the, the CBR900RR I had. Ah, you know, it was going to be something. Then it wasn't. It just kicked it, you know, moved on. I, I think the 250 was kind of that way too. And uh, it's like, yeah, you just come to a point where you're like, can I do anything with this anymore? Uh, sure. Is it going to cost me like ridiculous amounts of money? Yeah. Okay. So, is it worth it for me? No. Move it along. I, I think that three things that can can be responsible for ending it. One is you sell it. Second thing is you wreck it. And then it either becomes something that sits in the corner wrecked and you never get around to rebuilding it or you rebuild it into a whole nother aesthetic. It's a whole nother project when you do it again. Or you get to the point where it's functional, it's worked and everything, and you get excited about a new project. And all of your energy goes into the new project and the old one stays the way it is because you can't be bothered to go back and revisit it because you've got somewhere else to put your energy. I think those are the three ways that you stop customizing something. Uh, that makes sense. Although on my BMW, I've changed the fairing three times. So it went from this big Lufmeister uh, fairing when I got the bike with the king and queen seat. And then it ended up being uh, uh, this weird one that my friend sold me. And it was just kind of this one piece plastic. And then <clears throat> one day on Craigslist, I found an S fairing for 70 bucks. And I said, I'm driving two hours to go pick this thing up right now. And that's what's on the bike is this S fairing. And, and I, I, I think you guys are right. I think I'm kind of done. But, you know, I keep looking at, you know, different things like, well, uh, you know, the turn signal um, housings are plastic and on the old slash fives are aluminum and the aluminum looks a lot better. And so now I'm searching for some aluminum turn, ho uh, turn housing, uh, uh, turn signal housings to replace those. And, you know, it just seems like it's never the never ending project. But I'm glad to hear that at some point there's an end because I haven't seen the light yet. So speaking of lights, then you got to change everything to LED. <laughs> I've been looking at that, Eric. It's uh, especially the the uh, the rear the uh, tail light. I've been looking at an LED one, but it's a hundred hundred bucks, and I go, "Well, it's a hundred bucks. I can put somewhere else right now." Yeah, and the one thing I will say, and, and the thing I like about new vehicles, because I get to drive a lot of new vehicles for for my job, or at least one of my jobs, uh, modern lighting is just so much better, <laughs> and it makes, and especially on a motorcycle, of not only. Uh, being able to see on a dark road, but being seen um, just because there's so much more bright. So there's such, there's such, they're more, such more bright. That's still not correct. There's so much more bright. We get it. <laughs> um, you know, people are still going to be idiots and pull out in front of you and, oh, I didn't see them, which is, you know, um, but yes, modern lighting. So 
anyways. Eric, it's fun thing you mentioned the LED lighting because I, I've looked into that you know, both in cars and uh, in my old classic cars and bikes. And <clears throat> that takes you down a whole different wormhole uh, because the uh, the voltage is so low that, you know, sometimes the blinkers don't work properly. And uh, that's just a whole other frustration. And, and I don't know how you guys get past it. You know, I mean, it's like how many forum posts do you guys look at to see if somebody else has solved this problem before you go? I give up. <laughs> I, I work for an LED vehicle lighting manufacturer so get with me offline and and we'll make sure that you know how to do that bingo uh, i'm glad i got myself that yeah it, not an right. issue yeah I think it's just a matter of having the right resistors and a couple other things and it makes all the difference in the world awesome good to know here's a question is there any motorcycle that you would not modify that you think is perfect as it is i'm not talking about you know a uh RC-166, where there's three yeah, in the world. Production, mass-production motorcycles that you could go out and afford that you would say, nope, I would have to have it exactly stock. The only bike I feel that way about is the original Honda CBX. I've never seen a modified CBX that got me in the gut like one that's perfectly stock. Well, I was going to say a Vincent Black Shadow, and then you said affordable that you could buy today, and I went, um, okay, well, that's that's not the bike that I could afford to buy today. Um, yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, I, I was my I was about trying to say Vincent Black Shadow, and and also in the uh, can't afford uh, the uh, Bruff Superior SS one hundred. Th- those are historical artifacts. Those are not everyday motorcycles that in or I, I can understand yeah. it. Things that are museum artifacts, you want to keep. And, and and if we're going along those lines, although they're 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 not quite as expensive. Well, maybe Vincent Black Shadow tatted territory. Although I haven't looked at what those things are priced at these days. Um, Honda RC thirty was about as close to perfection out of the show, out of the factory as you could ever get. The RC forty five, eh? But the RC thirty to this day, you don't need to do a thing to that bike. Uh, I'll put my vote in for uh, one of my all-time favorites, which would be a, a BMW R80s, um, which kind of my my bike's a clone of that. Uh, I think that bike it just looks good, especially with the uh, that kind of that orange burst uh, uh, paint job. I think that's just a, a great-looking bike, exactly the way it is. No need to touch it. Um, it's got the spoke wheels, dual front discs. Um, can't do anything to that bike with the exception of maybe LED lighting. But other than that, it's perfect. I think the two BMWs that I would have to mention in that same category is the R65 LS. Mm. I I don't think you could improve on that. And the, uh, uh, what's, what's the, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Their ultimate big dirt bike that they made. Oh, I'm going to have to edit this out because now I can't think of it. (laughs) Oh, is it the, the, the Dakar? No, no. It, 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 it was like a uh, mega enduro or something like that. Mm. Oh, the HP2. HP2. Oh, oh. oh, yeah. The HP2 enduro, it, to me, is one of the most perfect looking street uh, dirt bikes that uh, I just, I don't, I'm not sure you could modify that and, and, make it any better maybe you know if you did little things different brake rotors or something like that but the basic look of it is just such its own thing i would not want to touch it i would want to keep one of those original 
from the in the BMW, you could you wouldn't want to touch it mostly because you could never do anything with it. Uh, BMW K1. Yeah, I will reserve my comments about the <laughs> BMW K1. Well, no, no. Now I want to hear. Now you're tempting me. Now I want to hear what what I would I have to. I would have to repaint it. I would have to paint it all one color. The McDonald's, the Ronald McDonald color scheme just is offensive to me. It ruins. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it takes a beautiful it bike and it just turns it into a novelty. It, it, it was such a '90s bike, though. So, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you, it's did, typical. You look at it and you go, "That came from the '90s." You know, that's what I like about uh, you know that uh, that Ducati 900 SS. It looks like. Uh, you know, a mid nineties, you know, with the square, uh, uh, headlight, it just looks like a vintage bike, but now there are know. a lot of bikes that I like as they are, but I would love to take the elements that I think are cool and put it on something else. What's a good example. Uh, I love the GS 1150 fairing, the, with the eight inch headlight, the big, you know, the big, huge, the last of the air cooled Suzuki's had the, uh, an eight inch headlight and a really cool sport fairing. That's just gigantic. And I don't really care for the rest of the bike that much, but I'd love to take that fairing and put it on something that was a little bit more sculptural. And, uh, I've thought I'm now I'm not going to do it because I've got a million other things that need to happen. I would like to find an SRX 250 Yamaha fairing to put on my Boltaco because I think it's a really cool little fairing with a, very period rectangular headlight that looks very eighties, but is also very attractive. And I think that's the essence of why people customize bikes is because they, they like certain parts of certain bikes and they want to put it together and, and kind of create their, their own unique, uh, uh, ride out there. And, and, um, you know, I think that's why I think, motorcyclists are more individuals, you know, uh, they, they tend not to ride in packs, you know, they tend to ride by, by themselves, the lone wolf as you, as it were. And that's the way I like to ride is I kind of like to be out there in the elements by myself and, um, be individualistic, I guess is the best way to put it. And, and I think that's part of it is nobody needs a motorcycle unless you're thinking I need to buy a moped cause I can't afford a used car. <laughs> there's everybody rides a motorcycle sure if i was the last person alive on earth would i ride a motorcycle yeah because i like the experience but your choice of bike almost always has some aesthetic form of expression uh i think it was at the motorcycle news dealer expo Yamaha had some people there right when they introduced the new second generation VMAX. And I got to talk to one of the designers, a uh, Japanese guy that was there kind of, you know, schmoozing the public about this bike. And he said something that I thought was so insightful. He said, motorcycle design is a vocabulary that people who know bikes reference to understand everything new. Motorcycles have been around long enough that it's a very, very complex vocabulary. If you look at, you know, jet skis or ATVs, they don't go back that far. You don't have as complex a language to make statements with, and there aren't as many nuances to design elements because people haven't 
don't have that long history. Motorcycles have been around so long that everything, every line you make, every component you put in speaks so much more than you might even intend because it's such a rich design vocabulary. And I, and he said every new bike contributes to it or redefines it or enhances that meaning somehow. And I thought that was a really insightful thing. And I've always remembered that, that you look at a bike, you're not just looking at that bike, you're looking at all of the other bikes that its design is referencing behind it. And I think that was a really uh, part of why people design their own motorcycles, because they want to use that language to express themselves. I couldn't agree more. It's That's really deep, but uh, really true, I think. Yeah, I agree. And that's probably a good place for us to wrap up. Okay. Well, we will be back again next week. Thank you for joining us, Vince. Thanks very much. Keep the rubber side down, guys. So long.